When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Questions from our football insider subscribers all about the Browns, what they want to know off of Sunday's game moving forward. There is a lot to get into, Mary Kay. And listen, to say Browns fans are feeling very optimistic here. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday at about 2 o'clock. To say that Browns fans are feeling very optimistic right now would be an understatement. Uh, they are feeling incredibly optimistic, which is why I want to start with this question from Ken in Florida. Hey, Mary Kay, after week one, how do you think the Browns rank in the AFC? This is why I love week one, too, because 16 team win, 16 teams feel great, 16 teams feel awful, and we overreact to everything. I love it. Ken wants to know where you think the Browns rank in the AFC right now. In the AFC right now, um, I would put the Browns probably, it's kind of hard to say, but just based on the strength of their defense, which really looks like it's going to be very, very good this whole entire year, I would think. Um, I would say that I would rank them somewhere around sixth or seventh in the AFC right now. Uh, I would rank them as a playoff team. Uh, I think they're going to contend for the AFC North, but I have felt that all along. These are not things that I'm just deciding after that victory. Um, I picked them to win 11 games. I believe, Dan, you did too. Um, so I, I did. <laughs> right? So the fact that we feel good about this team's chances this season, uh, you know, doesn't just come from what happened against the Bengals. I think we've been watching every single day in practice, and we feel pretty good about this team. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, that's what you try and do coming out of week one is like, okay, what sort of reinforced what you thought about a team, right? Like, like, I don't think Buffalo is going to be as bad as they were last night against the Jets. Maybe they are. We'll see. I don't think they're going to be that bad. I don't think Kansas City's going to look like they did against the Lions, but I could see a world where the Browns defense is just dominant and Nick Chubb has a great rushing year and and Deshaun Watson kind of figures it out, keeps figuring out as we go along and get into some good weather. I mean, all of these things are possible. So uh, you, what did you, you said sixth, right? Yeah, somewhere around yeah. sixth right so, now. So that's a good place to start. And who knows, maybe a month from now, we're starting to talk about like, is this the second or third best team in the AFC? If if not more, we'll, we'll see. But I, I mean, I think it's fair to feel really good about where this team is. And let's be honest, when a team like the Jets loses Aaron Rodgers, that changes, that changes things. They are not the team that they were or that people expected them to be with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Oh my gosh, not at all. I even talked to, I think you saw the the quote, I talked to Joe Thomas this morning um, about some other things. And while we were talking, I asked him about what does this mean for the Jets and for the AFC? And he said, they're not, they're not a contender anymore. They're just not, even though they have a great defense and they have great special teams at this moment, they 
are not a contender because at this moment, Zach Wilson is their starting quarterback. Now that could change. Uh, that could change, but there's not a lot of Aaron Rodgers sitting around out there. Uh, so even if they do get another starting quarterback, uh, you have to wonder about how that would impact their chances. So, you know, you're taking one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL out of the picture, and that does shake up the landscape considerably. I mean, we thought, you know, when we looked at this AFC, you know, Aaron Rodgers might be someone that you have to get past in the playoffs. No easy task. Uh, but now it is considerably easier. But still, um, you know, I do think that the Browns are, are going somewhere this season. Uh, you know, all things being equal right now, no major injuries or anything like that. I think the defense is for real. I think that Nick Chubb is for real. And then one of the reasons why I think that this team should be solid throughout the season is because they're built so tough through the lines. They're built so tough in the trenches. And when you have a really good offensive line and a really good defensive line, which is sort of the, the model that the Eagles have subscribed to, you can do so many different things. You can run the ball. You can protect your quarterback. You know, you can get to the quarterback. You can disrupt the opposing quarterback. Um, when you've got those two stout lines, and for the most part, the Browns do. They might, they now have some issues at tackle that we will get into. Um, but for the most part, they're pretty solid in those two very key areas. And I think they have an opportunity right now, too, when you kind of look at kind of where this is going. So they're playing this Pittsburgh team coming up that's not going to have Cam Hayward, not going to have Deontay Johnson. Kenny Pickett did not look very good on, on Sunday, and I, he still hasn't thrown two touchdowns in a game yet. So, um, you know, they're going to be ready to, to try and tee off against him with sort of a weekend receiving core. Um so that's an opportunity. You know, we'll see where Tennessee goes, but I, I actually just watched the condensed game of, of theirs against the Saints earlier this morning, and Ryan Tannehill looks like he's about a 1,000 years old. So <laughs> you've got a real opportunity here against a wounded Steelers team, and we'll, we'll, we can get into that a little bit, you know, kind of what the Browns are walking into there, even if they are beat up a little bit. Um, and a Titans team that I don't know that anybody expected them to be world beaters to begin with, this is a real opportunity before you face Baltimore in, in week four to, to kind of set yourself up. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I will say, you know, you don't want to completely overreact to that week one win, but it does get the wheels churning and thinking, Hmm, they really could be sitting pretty at the bye, Right. I mean, they should be able to go into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers. They should be able to beat the Titans. They should by all rights, be able to beat the Ravens with this defense. I mean, I think this defense, the strength of this defense, makes you believe that they can really beat anyone. And, uh, you know, if they play their cards right, they could be kind of on easy street at the bye. Yeah, I mean, because they won that opener, now you start to look at it like, I mean, at worst, you want to be three and one. Right. I don't know. I don't know where that one happens, if it's a trip up Monday night or if it's against Baltimore in week four, whatever. But at worst, you should expect to go into the bye at three and one because you beat the Bengals in the opener. So uh, I, I don't think that's overreaction. I think what we if this defense is legit, if that's if what we saw Sunday is what we're going to see from this defense all season, um, that this team can be really, really good. Uh, which brings us to this question from Larry McClure in Wallingford, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay, at the risk of overreacting after one game, is it possible that the AFC North is not quite as strong as predicted? That is possible. I mean, when I look at the Bengals, 
I, you know, I really do feel that for the most part, the Browns are stronger than them in some very, very key areas. And that is offensive line. Browns haven't beat there. Running back. Browns haven't beat there. Defensive line. The Browns have them beat there. Now their secondary is traditionally very good, but they've got a couple of new safeties. And I think the Browns are giving them a run for their money in the secondary. And I mean, you and I talked about this walking out of the game. I think we both still think that right now in this moment, you'd have to put their receiving core above the Browns just because it's, you know, so accomplished. Um, so we'll give them that. But other than that, I think man for man, the Browns are either equal or better to the Bengals and they are the back-to-back AFC North champs. Um, the Steelers, I think right now it looks like the Browns have the edge over the Steelers. And then we just have to figure out um, what the deal is going to be with Baltimore. We don't know enough about them yet. Um, So I still think it's a very tough division. um, But I do think that, you know, there are some, a few chinks in the armor here along the way. Yeah. And I think of all the teams in the North, we're taking the Browns out of the equation of the other three teams. Cincinnati's going to be fine. Barring like an injury to Joe Burrow or this calf being worse than than we think it is, Cincinnati will be fine. They'll figure it out. They'll be good to go. They'll win a bunch of games. They'll be in the playoffs. Pittsburgh, I don't know. I don't know how to react to that game because they were so bad. But also, maybe San Francisco is just that good. I don't know. Um, and then Baltimore, I haven't had a chance to watch the Baltimore game yet, so I don't, I don't really have a lot to add there. They won, they did what they were supposed to do, but they've got a bunch of injuries piling up all of a sudden. So it almost feels like the Browns are the Browns are the most stable after one game, just because the Bengals looked so bad. Again, I'm not worried about them, but like, I have no idea what the Steelers are going to be. And I feel you know, you trust the Ravens kind of in a lot of the ways that you tend to trust the Steelers just because of their culture and their coaching and all that. But I don't know. I have no idea what that team is. I know. I mean, it it really is, uh, you know, interesting when you start to look at it, because when you talk about injuries piling up, as bad as the Steelers looked against the 49ers, now they're without Cam Hayward for up to eight weeks, according to Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He's going to be undergoing surgery. That's taking one of your best defensive players off the field. That would be like the Browns losing like Zadarius Smith, I would say. That would be like the good comp for that, even though they play sort of different positions. Um, And then uh, now they're going to also be without their leading receiving yardage getter last year in Deontay Johnson. He didn't have any touchdown catches last year, curiously, uh, but he did have plenty of yards. So he helps move the chains a lot. And, you know, you're taking, uh, you know, one of your best receivers conceivably off the field for the Monday night game. He hasn't been completely ruled out just yet, but when you've got, you know, a deep threat like that, chances are if you have a hamstring injury, injury, uh, you're either not going to be able to play or you're going to struggle. So, Life didn't just get any easier for Kenny Pickett, who threw two interceptions against the 49ers and was sacked five times. I could see the Browns doing the exact same thing to him, the exact same thing. And they better study that film of what the Browns just did to Joe Burrow and figure out what the heck they're going to do to try to counter it. Uh, But, you know, nobody's mistaking Kenny Pickett for Joe Burrow right now. And, And he obviously did not fare well at all. 
Okay, we uh, had a lot of questions. Well, actually, let's go to uh, let's go to this a couple of Deshaun Watson, Watson questions. We'll save Dewan Jones for the um, the second half here. So this one comes from Josh S, whose location is thirty thousand feet over the USA. He is in midair as he sends this text to us. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, what's up with all the national pundits saying Deshaun Watson's rustiness has carried over from twenty twenty three? Did they not see the rain and Joe Burrow's stats? I don't think they did. And it's not just national people. I know some local people that feel, that feel uh, the same way about Deshaun Watson's performance. Uh, people just are really very quick, uh, you know, to, to write him off, let's just say. And I think, once again, some of it has to do with the fact that some people just are not ready to buy into the Deshaun Watson program just yet because of all of his off the field issues. So that's part of it, I think. Um, but I chalked a lot of that game up to the rain. Now, maybe I'm putting too much on the weather, um, but that's where I'm going to go with that for now. Uh, until I see that he just can't throw an accurate pass anymore for the most part, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not ready to believe that. Uh, I haven't seen that in practice. Um, now, maybe defenses are finding a way to confuse him, to cross him up. I mean, Lou Anarumo from the Cincinnati Bengals uh, is a really, really good defensive coordinator. And he gave him a lot of different looks. And, uh, and it, you know, it does make a quarterback think a lot. And that's what the Steelers are probably going to have to do uh, if they also want to get the same kind of results where they're making Deshaun uh, think a lot and and kind of get him getting him off of his mark. But I also heard him say on a podcast the other day, and I don't know if you heard this as well, um, that he was saying that he was gripping the ball too hard and he sort of overcompensated for the rain, the fact that it was slipping out of his hand. And that threw him off. I mean, he just, that threw him off. And that's what comes from not having played in bad weather most of his career, or at least most of his, yeah, most of his college and pro career, he played in mild conditions. He's not really used to playing in a lot of rain uh, or a lot of inclement weather. So um, so I'm going to attribute this one mostly to that. But I think there were a few other factors, one of which is the fact that, like Marquise Goodwin, for instance, those those two did not connect well on two deep balls and we have to remember that Marquise Goodwin missed all of training camp with blood clots. So they didn't have a chance to build on what we saw in minicamp where they were connecting well on, on the long ball. So, um, you know, let's see what happens uh, over the next couple of weeks before we sort of put a grade on how Deshaun is going to look this season. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look great. But also, again, you know, like our texter points out from whatever plane he's on, um, Joe Burrow looked awful. Like every, I mean, Joe Burrow was putting gloves on and trying to figure things out. Like this was such a weird game because nobody expected it to rain like that during the game. And I, I've seen, I know I've seen a lot of Browns fans joke on Twitter that um, the only place it was raining on Sunday was directly over Cleveland Browns Stadium. So uh, there are there are some built-in excuses here uh, for both quarterbacks for both teams. And you know, once again, I, I'm just I'm not ready to make any sweeping like declarations about Deshaun Watson after that game. Let's let's see how this kind of unfolds and develops. I mean, one of the things I did like is, um, you know, and I wrote about this in my 10 takeaways, if you look at some of the stats like average depth of target and time to throw, things like that, there was a little bit of the old Deshaun Watson in there as far as kind of hunting big plays and, 
you know, using his legs to keep things alive and, you know, try to get things downfield. It didn't work, but he was looking for big plays. And that's sort of how Deshaun is wired. He goes out and he's going to hunt for big plays down the field. And that's what he did in Houston. Kind of lost that a little bit in those six games last year. But that, that, that version of Deshaun was back on Sunday. So if they can start to connect on those, then it gets really exciting. Yeah, and it's it's a topic that I discussed with both him and Amari Cooper after the Kansas City game because they obviously connected on a nice 53-yard pass. Again, it was against a second-team defense, and you have to take that into consideration. Um, but the, you know, the point was you guys are going to be going for it. You're going to be gunslinging. You're going to be looking for those big plays downfield. And both of them were like, yes, that's the plan. Absolutely. We're gunning it. We're going for it. We're going to take big shots and they're going to continue to do that. And it's not just going to be to Marquise Goodwin. It's going to also be to David Njoku and Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Elijah Moore. They're going to go for those big shots. They're going to find the matchups that they like the best. And they're going to try to get big, big chunks of yardage and take advantage of Deshaun Watson's arm and also his legs because he will try to take those shots while he's on the run or while he's out of the pocket. And, um, and, you know, you're going to be looking for a lot more of that this season. And, uh, you know, again, hopefully for them, it will be in, in better conditions than they found on Sunday. Okay. A question here from, um, Mavro in Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay. So agreed that the weather affected the passing game, but it seems like the Bengals receivers were always covered. And oftentimes Brown's receivers were pretty open. And Mavro is not completely wrong on that. Um, again, going to, to some of the advanced stats, the NFL next-gen stats, um, Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore were pretty high up as far as uh, separation, the separation stat that they keep. So those guys were, were definitely getting open. Um, I didn't look up the Bengals receivers, but just eyeball test. It seemed like they were covered constantly in that game. So once again, one, it bodes well for the Browns secondary, but also if these Browns receivers are getting this open, it bodes well for what Deshaun Watson can do. Yes, it, it definitely does. And um, I think they they should be able to get open the way that they did, uh, just based on all the different things that they're going to do. I mean, you still have Nick Chubb running the ball. That's going to open things up. Um, and then you've got Elijah Moore running the ball. So you've got to be wary and careful about that. And you've got to, you know, you've got to have some people staying home and wondering and worrying about that. Um, so because of all the multiple things that they can do and all the looks that they can show and all the formations and all the motions and everything that they have going, it's going to get guys open. Guys are going to be open and then it will just be incumbent upon Deshaun to accurately deliver them the football. And I think that's going to happen in greater measure than we saw against the Bengals. Yeah, so I, I mentioned that stat. I just looked it up while you were talking. Um, separation, which uh, measures the nearest defender on um, a completion or, or a pass when a player is targeted. And Elijah Moore is sixth uh, most separation. Amari Cooper is eighth. Um, and then you got to scroll down a little bit to find a Cincinnati wide receiver. Irv Smith is their highest rated guy, their tight end. So um, guys were getting open, and that's some of Kevin Stefanski's scheme. And also... Like Deshaun has to get kind of comfortable with that stuff too, right? Like, we, you know, I mentioned he's a guy that hunts big plays, but and he's talked about this a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. 
he's also got to be willing to sometimes take the easy stuff, right? Like be willing to take those check downs and those dump downs to David Njoku and Nick Chubb sometimes. He's not super willing to do that. Uh, Deshaun is very much a sort of go big or go home player. You know, I mean, that's why he gets sacked as much as he does because he's going to run around and hang onto that ball until the last possible minute looking for that bigger play. And, you know, maybe that is one thing that he will learn this year is, you know, know when to hold him, know when to fold him, you know, no, no one to give up on a play and not always be trying to hit the home run. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes as, as time goes on. Uh, but, you know, you certainly don't want him getting hit, hit and sacked. And, um, you know, sometimes the, uh, you know, the check down, you know, to Nick or to Elijah or, or someone else uh, is the right play to make. Yeah, we don't want to be in a position a month from now or two months from now where we're talking about the Browns, like we're talking about the Jets, like the super talented team who just lost you know, their quarterback. So he does need to, and he usually does a good job of protecting himself, of course. Um, but, you know, when you do expose yourself to hits, that that can be dangerous. All right, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we will get into some Dewan Jones. But first, we're going to get to a question from a Browns fan about the Steelers. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. These questions from our Football Insider subscribers. It's the blue banner at the top of the page cle- at uh, cleveland.com slash Browns. You click that. You can become one of our texters, uh, get a newsletter every day and get access to those stories on cleveland.com behind that paywall. This comes from Ken in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Mary Kay, this might be the most Browns fan text you get today. The Browns just had a dominating performance against one of the best offenses in the league. San Francisco made Pittsburgh look like a college team. Pittsburgh has two key players sidelined. Why do I feel like this is the perfect opportunity for Mike Tomlin to fire up the Steelers and help the Browns find a way to lose this game? Am I crazy? And is this just what PTSD from being a Browns fan for 30 years does to the psyche? I get it. I 100% totally get it. What they really need is Juju Smith-Schuster to come back uh, and and say Browns is the Browns and help them get fired up again uh, for this game the same way that they got fired up for those Cincinnati Bengals by Jamar Chase's words. Uh, They are going to need to be fired up. I mean, no matter what, you're going into Pittsburgh. It's a hard place to play. It's going to be loud. They still have good defensive players, even though they aren't going to have Cam Hayward. They're going to be coming off of a loss uh, after just a summer full of hype. Everybody was all about how good the Steelers are going to be. Everybody's counting us out uh, and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, they're going to be ready to play this game. It's going to be Monday night football. When they lose by 20 points or more, I saw a stat today where I think Mike Tomlin is like 10 and two after that, when they lose by 20 points or more. Uh, So they're going to be loaded for bear. They're not going to want to be humiliated. They're not going to want to start 0-2. They certainly don't want to lose to the Cleveland Browns, of course. So there's a lot at stake in this game. But I just think the Browns defense is too good this year. And I understand the uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder of Browns fans. I totally get uh, where you're coming from. But I think it's okay to go ahead and believe that they can win this game and think that they're going to win this game. I can tell you right now, I'm going to pick them to win this game. I just don't see 
how uh, Kenny Pickett without Deontay Johnson and the defense without Cam Hayward are going to beat the Browns. I, you know, I could change my mind as the week goes along. It's very early. It's only Tuesday. And the Browns are going to be without Jack Conklin, and they will have Dewan Jones going up against T.J. Watt. Now, if T.J. Watt wrecks this game and makes it impossible for the Browns to function, that's going to change things. And it could change things. We've seen him do it before. We saw him do it to Baker Mayfield at the end of the season, his last game in a Cleveland Browns uniform. We saw the the Steelers' defense make life hell last year on, um, on Deshaun Watson when Jack Conklin didn't play in that game. So stranger things have happened, but it's almost like TJ would have to sort of single-handedly take over this game. And I think the Browns are going to be as ready for him as they possibly can be. They're going to give Dewan the help that he needs. They're going to have to chip. They're going to have to double. They're going to have to do whatever they can. Uh, They're going to have to do the things that Baker Mayfield accused Kevin Stefanski of not doing in that game that year when TJ had his way with them. So it's going to be the matchup to watch. I'll be writing a little bit more about it today, a little bit about it today. Um, And it's just, you know, that's the way that they can win this game. That's the matchup they can try to exploit. I I mean, I think this is going to be another week where it's a clean sweep of of picking the Browns. It's because to me, like if this were a seven game series, the Browns would win it like as the two teams currently stand. Um, But the thing that gives you pause is it's in Pittsburgh on Monday night and TJ Watt can have a game like he had against the Bengals last year in week one where he just single-handedly wrecked them. So that's, that's what you're scared of. You know, even in that San Francisco game, there were times where you just saw number 90 all over the place. So that's what scares you. And Mike Tomlin scares you. And what's that place called now? Akrasher stadium. It scares you at night, but the Browns right now are the better football team. That doesn't always mean that doesn't mean you're going to win in the NFL in a one game, you know, in an, any given Monday night scenario. But I, I think the Browns should feel good going into this game that, that they can win it. Now, you mentioned the Watt, uh, Dewan Jones thing. So let's just get to these questions. Um, and let's start here. You kind of touched on this a little bit. Bill D in center. Uh, actually, this is going to be here we go. Let's go to Jim in Zanesville, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay. Will the Browns be looking for another offensive tackle or are they content with who they have? You know, I think for right now, they're content with who they have. In addition to Dewan Jones, uh, you know, they also have James Hudson. And then on the practice squad, they've got a former first rounder in Alex Leatherwood that we have a tendency to forget about. I wonder if they're going to miss Tyrone Wheatley Jr., who they traded to the New England Patriots for Pierre Strong, the running back. And I just remember hearing Bill Callahan, the Browns' great offensive line coach, gushing about Tyrone Wheatley during the preseason. Now, that's when Dewan Jones was still coming up the learning curve. And he has come up it. I mean, believe me on this. He's making good progress because he really has the work ethic and the desire to be good. Everybody always wondered, you know, what about basketball? What about basketball? Well, he's taken his love of basketball and he really has transferred it over to wanting to be great at football. And and I think that's going to be the key for him is that he's got the want to, he's got the heart, he's got the desire. And if he can put it all together, then they're going to be okay. Now, he did not grade out well in his run blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. He was down in like the 44 range. And amongst qualifying offensive tackles, 
that ranked 55th in the NFL. And on his own team, he came in at 16th amongst offensive players. That's not very good. But if you just look at the pass blocking alone, he was 18th in the NFL, which is very good over the weekend. Uh, And his grade for that was about like 77.8. That's where you really want to be. You want to be in the 70s and above. That's starter material. So from a pass blocking standpoint, he did an amazing job. And he's going to have to be better because TJ is going to have some moves for him. Um, but I, I think they're, they're willing to take their chances and to see how, how he does. Now, when you look at the other side, when you look at Jed, Jed graded out worse than Dewan did. He graded out at in the 40s as well, but a little bit lower than Dewan. He came in at 17th amongst his offensive teammates and at around 61st in the NFL amongst offensive qualifying offensive tackles. So, you know, they're not at their best. They're not at their best right now heading into this game from an offensive tackle standpoint. And you know that the great defensive mind of Mike Tomlin will be doing everything he possibly can to exploit that. Once again, it won't be as easy to do without Cam Hayward. But as we all know, somehow, some way, the Pittsburgh Steelers seem to find a way to continue to stock their defense with good players. And somebody is going to step up and and fill those shoes of Cam Hayward. Certainly not easy to do. He's had great games against the Browns. 11 and a half sacks over the years. He had a really, really good game in that last game last year. Uh, that 2018-14 victory over the Cleveland Browns in the season finale. Um, Cam had sort of a monster game. Again, two sacks, pass, pass swatted down at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, he just showed up in that game. And uh, we'll have to see if somebody can, else can match that intensity, match that performance. But the Browns, you know, for right now, they do have some issues, on, you know, at defensive tackle. And DeWand is going to have to pick up his game. I think it's more concerning. I, I think the Jed Wills part of it is more concerning than DeWan Jones. Because ultimately, like, you know going in, even if you even if you're really high on Dewan Jones, you know going in he's not going to be Jack Conklin. You know, like Jack Conklin's an all pro. There's a reason you gave him that big extension last December. Like he's he's Jack Conklin. And so there's going to be a step down for a guy making his first career NFL start, a fourth round pick who is still a little bit raw. But that's okay. You go into that thinking like, hey, we're going to help him. We're going to do what we need to do. We understand what we need to do over here on the right side. And that would be a whole lot easier if you could also feel really good that you can leave your left tackle by himself and your fourth year left tackle by himself and just feel really good about like, hey, Jed's got this. We don't have to worry about Jed. He's good. Let's focus on helping out DeWand as much as possible. I think that domino effect is where you might run into some issues. And we did we did get a question here um, from Bill in Centerville basically asking, hey, Mary Kay, can the Browns offensive line live up to expectations with Wills and Jones at tackle? And he mentions their PFF scores. Well, I'll tell you what, they're so stout and so solid through the middle of the line. I mean, their guards are so good. And Ethan Posick is so good that it does help to cover up some of the ills on the outside. But as we all know, 
you know, you're going to, you're going to find a weakness and you're going to exploit it. It's exactly what Bill Belichick has always done a masterful job of. It's what all good defensive and offensive coordinators do a phenomenal job of. You find the area of weakness and you attack, attack, attack it until that opposing team shows you that they can counterattack. And right now that's, you know, those are the areas of, of somewhat concern. And if TJ Watt isn't finding success, I mean, who knows, maybe he'll switch over and, you know, move around the way that Miles is doing right now. I always marvel at the fact teams don't do that more often. I mean, it's so effective when you take your best, your best pass rusher and you move him around somewhere else and you find that weakness and you're just blowing past guys. Uh, so we'll have to see how they decide uh, to, to employ TJ and how they decide to, to go about this. But I was actually starting to think before this happened with Jack Conklin that maybe DeWand was going to end up at left tackle before we knew it. You know, I mean, if they looked out there and they did not like what they were seeing from Jed, I think that there was a chance that they weren't going to keep the big guy over there on the bench. So, you know, we'll see. And I, I made this point on, uh, on another um, thing that I did this morning. You know, what if you flip-flop them? I mean, if it's not going exactly the way that you want it to go, why not put Jed back over on the right where he played in college? And even though he was blocking for, uh, for Tua's, Lefty Tua's blind side over there, maybe his brain still works better over there. I mean, you just never know. And DeWand, I know because I've asked him this myself, he feels like he can be an effective starting left tackle in the NFL. And I think that's what he sees himself as. And who knows? It might end up there. I don't think it's going to go that way this week. Who knows? It might though. I mean, they could shock us and surprise us and do that. But I do think there's a world in which you could see him over on the left and Jed on the right. Did we mention Miami in our AFC rankings? Tua threw for like 460 yards on, on we, Sunday. We didn't. We, <laughs> just... we didn't. It was like one of the best AFC quarterback uh, performances of all in a week where all of the, like so many of the <laughs> AFC stars like really struggled. My goodness, Josh Allen, our friend, Doug Lee Maurice, who is not with us anymore and is now on <laughs> Uh, on the Ohio State, the podcast had to be the happiest guy last night that uh, that Josh Allen looked so horrible with his three interceptions and his one fumble. And then Patrick lost and we saw we all saw what the Browns did to Joe Burrow. So, yeah, Tua's amazing performance sort of flew under the radar. And, you know, that's the that's the beautiful thing about a new NFL season. You just don't know which team is going to emerge. You don't know which team is just going to tank. Uh, it's just everything is is new and fresh and exciting. Well, and, and you know it's going to happen, right? There was a day when we were talking about this in the media room. Like, you know, it's not going to be the same seven teams in the playoffs that were there last no. year. So, who are the two to three teams that aren't going to make it? And you try to go through and, and figure that out. That's what makes. That's what. That's why this league is great. And also, again, the unfortunate part of it is injuries play such a big factor, right? You know, so you, you know you're going to lose you're going to have like an Aaron Rodgers type injury and, and things like that. Okay. A couple more quick hitters here. Um, this comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay with Jerome Ford fumbling. If the Browns are all in, should they go get a veteran running back before teams like Baltimore, who obviously just lost JK Dobbins scoop them up? 
You know, I, I don't think they're going to do that right away. I think once again, they are going to attribute some of that to the weather, to the wet, heavy ball. Um, I can also make the excuse for Jerome Ford that he missed most of training camp with a hamstring. And I've been saying this in the weeks leading up to the game. I thought that was going to be a factor. I never see a guy miss most of training camp and then just skate right in and be amazing in the first few weeks of the season. Usually there's a ramp up period. He needs it. I think they're going to stick with them. They're, they're using Nick Chubb more on third down, more out of the backfield catching the ball. They've got other guys to run the ball like Elijah and Deshaun. And so I think for now they're going to stick with the plan. Okay, and one more here. Uh, again, looking a little bit ahead to the Steelers game, uh, Anthony and Seabus. Hey, Mary Kay, do you expect the passing game to be opened up this week against the Steelers, or do you expect more emphasis on the run? Well, I still think this is going to be an aggressive passing game. So they're going to still open it up. They're going to still take those shots. Uh, I think with uh, Marquise Goodwin having another week of practice and a longer week, a little bit of a longer week this week with an extra day, I think that, um, you know, I think they'll still take those shots downfield. And I still think that they will heavily emphasize their the pass and the reason why they went out and they got themselves one Deshaun Watson to utilize his arm as well as his legs. And again, of course, one of the beauties of Deshaun is the fact that like on Sunday, if the arm wasn't getting it done, he was able to go to land and get the job done, score a touchdown, get some other yards up to 45, uh, convert a two pointer on the ground and, uh, you know, and go at it that way. So yes, the short answer here is I still expect them to keep the passing game wide open. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of in Kevin's DNA. You don't go get Deshaun Watson so you can just turn and hand the ball off 30 times a game. <laughs> you want you want to throw it around a little bit. That, that's how that's how it is nowadays. And, uh, you know, I'll say this, too. Speaking of kind of how Deshaun figured out to, to thrive in that game, I just think it was really important for the Browns to show that they could win an ugly game where things didn't go the way that maybe they were supposed to. Because there were a couple times last year where I felt like, you know, like the New Orleans game, and there's another one. There was another, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but um, where it's like, they should Jets. have found, yeah. Well, yeah, the Jets game was just wonky, but like Atlanta, <laughs> Atlanta was one. Yeah, Atlanta, yeah. A couple of games where things maybe weren't going perfectly and they just never quite made the adjustments to, to figure out how to win them. And yep. I, I think seeing that on Sunday against the Bengals was big. Yeah, they made adjustments. They, you know, they went to, you know, their bigger offense. They realized that it's pouring rain out. Let's, let's use more tight ends. Let's use... Uh, more running game. They ended up running the ball 40 times. And you know what? That's that's what the game called for at that point. So um, the in-game adjustments were better. It's what Kevin has been criticized for in the past. And I think uh, that he worked very, very hard over the offseason. And so did the whole entire staff to make sure uh, that they are, are making really smart in-game adjustments. Okay, that's going to do it for this podcast. Just so everyone knows, our schedule's a little bit different this week. We're going to align with the Browns' schedule. So they're back on the practice field, or at least we'll be out there the next time on Thursday. So we're going to go like they are. They're treating Thursday like a Wednesday, and then moving forward, we're going to do the same. So our preview pod will go up Saturday morning. Uh, we'll be back with pods Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, leading into that Monday night game in Pittsburgh. So just get subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so these show up as soon as they go live. Also become a Football Insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Find us on Instagram. Search Orange or Brown Talk and find us on YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com on YouTube for that. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.